Thank you, Ellie, for that ministry and music. I appreciate everyone who's had a hand in their ser- in the service tonight. I pray that through everything that's said and done, that God will be glorified. As you may know, Pastor Reed, Pastor Cruz, and I, we have been preaching through memorable or noteworthy Bible verses during the evening worship services. Well, tonight, as we continue with that series... I'd like us to take a quick moment and expand this idea of memorable portions of scriptures. From week to week, we have been looking at single individual verses that are notable all throughout the Bible. But what would we consider to be the most memorable chapters in the scriptures? More than just a verse or two, what full-length chapters of the Bible stand out to us? Perhaps we could consider Genesis chapter 1, the first chapter of the Bible, and a a significant one at that, for it gives an account of God creating the world, quite a memorable chapter. Perhaps we think of Exodus 20, the chapter in which God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. Maybe our minds go to the Psalms and we think of Psalm 1 or Psalm 23. We could consider Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, three chapters that recount Christ's Sermon on the Mount. And certainly we could go on and on. There are many chapters that carry a special impact, many chapters that we would label as noteworthy. But there's one chapter that is consistently at the top of most individuals' lists, one chapter that Christendom as a whole understands as a renowned passage of Scripture. And that is Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith. This chapter is universally recognized as a notable passage of Scripture. Why? Because it outlines the great heroes of the faith, those men and women who have come before us and testified to how one lives as faithful servants of God. Their lives demonstrate the outworking of God-given faith, how faith affects one's actions and responses to life circumstances. Hebrews 11 is a chapter in which we, the readers, get to stand amidst the great spiritual giants of Scripture. Perhaps another reason this passage is widely recognized is because of its elegance. The, chapter with, or the text within this chapter flows beautifully. As you read, the words grasp your attention as you are transported through the corridor of biblical history. You start with Abraham and are carried along, being shown one by one how the Old Testament servants of God lived by faith. The phrase by faith is repeated 19 times almost providing a rhythmic flow as we witness testimony after testimony of faithful dependence upon God. It is truly a remarkable chapter in the scriptures, a passage that I am sure we all know well. But consider with me for a second. We know Hebrews 11 well. We've read it many times. But do we know what to do with this notable chapter? Do we ever ask what was the author's original intent in showcasing these faithful men and women. In other words, what should our response be to the great heroes of the faith? Well, we get answers to those questions in the very next chapter of the book. Immediately following Hebrews 11, the Word of God gives us a call to action, a practical response to what was just presented. And that call to action is found in the very first verse of Hebrews chapter 12. So look with me at Hebrews 12. 12 verse 1, our memorable verse and the focus of our attention this evening. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, 
and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Our theme for this evening is in the form of a question. Tonight we seek to answer the question, how are we to approach living a faith-filled life? How are we to approach living a faith-filled life? Hebrews 11 showcases examples of men and women who lived by faith, who demonstrated dependence on God, who lived faith-filled lives. The examples have been presented. Now, in Hebrews chapter 12, the author is turning his attention back to his readers, calling for action to be taken. The word used at the very beginning of this verse signifies the transition. Hebrews 12.1 begins with, therefore. The word therefore ties ideas together. In this case, it ties two chapters together. In light of what, was, what has just been presented in Hebrews 11, therefore, here is what is to be considered. Therefore, here is how you are to react. The author is essentially saying, I have presented to you the examples of faithful servants of God. Now, here is what we are to do if we want to live faithful lives as well. So tonight, let us consider how are we to approach living a faith-filled life? Well, to begin, we must understand the very vivid word picture that is present within our verse. The author compares our spiritual lives, our lives of faith, to the running of a race. Look with me at our verse again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and here it is, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This final phrase of the verse carries the root of what this verse is communicating, what the verse is all about. How is one to live a faithful life? Well, this is the core answer. We are to run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is the main idea. Now, this phrase, and really the verse as a whole, is a word picture. It is figurative language. Now, figurative language can be powerful tools in communication. Perhaps the most common figure of speech is the metaphor, when two items are compared that do not really have a direct relationship. And the reason for the comparison is to brighten a picture, to enhance an idea or thought that is trying to be communicated. For example, people are often compared to books. I'm sure we have heard of individuals being described as either an open book or a closed book. And this metaphor speaks to how well someone can be known. All right, how well someone can be read, how well someone can be understood through simple observation. If you are an open book, your thoughts, emotions, and personality can be easily noticed. If you are a closed book, you are more of a mystery. You see, metaphors paint a picture, and the purpose of that picture is to communicate an idea more deeply. The Bible itself uses figures of speech, including metaphors, many metaphors. Paul encourages the Ephesians to put on the full armor of God. Christ exclaims, exclaims that his followers are the salt and the light of the world. Paul compares a life of self-control to boxing tactics in 1 Corinthians. Figures, are spe figures of speech are powerful tools, for when figures of speech are used effectively, they elevate an idea. They create a deeper impact of understanding. Well, tonight in Hebrews 12.1, we see the metaphor of a race. All right? The author compares living a faithful Christian life to running in a foot race. It was a picture that would have spoken clearly to the first century believers, right? The watching of races, it was a form of entertainment. Everyone back then knew what a race was, what a race entailed. 
And it is also a picture that speaks clearly to us even today. We have the Olympics. We have high school track and field. Many of us participated in races growing up. We know what a race is. It is a very vivid image. Christian life is like a race. But how is this metaphor used to enhance the idea of the Christian faith? How is it that the Christian life, our spiritual development, is like a race? Well, first and foremost, let us look at the word that is used for race. All right? What picture does the word race communicate? Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, the Greek word that is translated into our English word race is the word agon. Agon. Uh, perhaps this sounds familiar. It's, this is where we get the English word agony. All right? Quite literally, the word agon means a struggle. It means a fight. A very fitting definition of what we know a race to be. Right? Running a race is agonizing. Running a race is not always pleasant. If you look at surveys of what people classify as the most dreaded exercises, running is typically within the top ten. Why? Because running is hard work. It takes energy. It is a struggle to keep progressing step after step. It is a fight to keep your lungs breathing as you continue to press forward. Running a race is demanding. So too, the Christian life is demanding. It is not a life of promised luxury. It is not a life of constant ease and relaxation. It is not a life in which we can accept Christ as our Savior and then not let him be Lord over our lives. But living a life of faith requires effort and it requires work. As believers, we need to be sharpening ourselves by working by the working of the Holy Spirit. We need to ever be growing in our sanctification. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We are workers of the faith. There's a refining process that comes with our faith. There is constant change. It is, it's continual growth. The life of true faith requires self-discipline, and it requires commitment. It requires sacrificing the pleasures of this world in exchange for a daily fight against the consequences of sin. The Christian life of faith, the development of our spiritual lives, is like a race because it is strenuous. It requires constant effort. But we may ask ourselves, if a life of faith is agonizing, if a life of faith takes discipline and effort, why run in the first place? As a believer, why is it necessary to pursue faithfulness at all? Well, because the race is appropriate. Right? Participation in a life of godliness and faith is our duty as believers. Notice with me the phrase at the end of Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Living by faith, the development of our spiritual lives is the natural byproduct of the relationship we have with Christ. What this phrase literally means is that the race is presently before us. Right? The race exists for our participation. It is our duty to live 
faithful Christian lives. We cannot be Christians who participate as bystanders. That's not how one participates. We must all be running. We must all be pursuing righteousness on a daily basis. Why? Because it only makes sense, right? It is the inerrant reaction of our faith in Christ. We call Christ our Lord, and we must live in a way that displays his lordship in our lives. Our faith calls for action. That is the message of James chapter 2. Faith produces action. It should be our desire, and we should count it a joy to participate. We must be running in the race. So our first point of application is this. How is the race going? How is the run feeling? First and foremost, I think we need to ask the question, are we running? If you are a child of God here this evening, the race has begun. It begins when the Holy Spirit enters your heart, convicts you of sin, and you place your hope and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. I pray that we have all made that declaration of faith. And if we have, we are saved. We are children of God. We are sealed with the blood of Christ. But life in Christ doesn't end there. We have a race to run. We need to get running. The word for run in Hebrews 12.1, it implies speed or haste. It's not a jog of ease, but there is a sense of urgency to win the prize and to finish the course. We, We have a life of righteousness to pursue. Not tomorrow, not next week, not even down the road, but we have to pursue it now. So again, are you running? Are you actively pursuing the things of God? Is he the first priority of your life? If not, perhaps you are stalled. Maybe other paths have distracted you and you are pursuing a different prize. Maybe you have been running for years and the obstacles that come with following Christ have become too much. Therefore, perhaps you have taken a break. And that break from the race has kept you stagnant for a number of years. Maybe you have been a believer for some time and you never really have started running. You never really started to seek the will of God in your life. Perhaps you were saved at a young age and have gotten caught up in the distractions of the world. Maybe you're a teen sitting here and you see the faithful example of the church around you and you think, wow, those are some godly examples. I'll be like them someday. Eventually, I want to run like they do. If you're in any one of those camps, I implore you to start running now. We have a duty and we have a privilege to follow Christ. It's time to obey and submit to God, to study his word, to know what he commands for our lives, to grow in the Holy Spirit. So I implore you, run the race. Do not walk, do not take a break, but hasten towards the finish line. The second point of application is this. How would you describe the race in which you are presently participating? What is the course like? I would challenge you, if your Christian life is easy, how dedicated are you to the race? You know, one runs a race to win. An athlete runs a race hard. Like I said a minute ago, the word for run within our verse implies speed or haste. It's not a jog. So have you felt the burdens that come with running? You feel the pressure of the race, of the fights. You feel the pressures of the struggle. Have you experienced sacrifice? Have you given up pleasantries of this world in exchange for the pursuit of godliness? Have you altered priorities in your life so that the things of God, so that the outworking of your faith has taken precedence? You know, our our society values a lot of things, and one of them is time. Time. 
What our world teaches is that our free time must be filled with entertainment. We have so much time on our hands as Americans. How do we use that time? How much of that time is dedicated to the pursuit of God? God needs to be first. And the race that is set before us must always be our primary objective. So I would challenge you, be willing to make sacrifices so that God can take precedence. Furthermore, have you experienced ridicule? The author of Hebrews is writing to a persecuted people. We see that in a couple places. One is Hebrews chapter 10, and that is the aspect of difficulty within the race we run, right? So, so do we experience mockery in any way? You know, we live in a, a blessed country where we do not face persecution like our other brothers and sisters around the world. But regardless, there is a natural tendency for fallen mankind to reject and ridicule Christ? Have we experienced the consequences of that disdain? Now, this doesn't mean that we are to go out and find trouble. We are not to seek out persecution. We're not to seek out a life of hardship and struggle. Rather, it is the natural byproduct of living a life of faith. That is what the entire Sermon on the Mount is about, how the message of Christ is countercultural, how followers of Christ live lives that are contrary to what the world values and honors. Therefore, obstacles are to be faced. Struggles are to be experienced. It's only natural. Do others see God as your priority? If so, ridicule will come, pushback will be experienced. If that is the case in your life, then it is evidence that you are running well. You're on the right course. Keep running faithfully. So, I would challenge you to consider the nature of, the, of your course, of your race. Is it Wide and easy, or is it narrow and difficult? Brothers and sisters, if the race is not always easy, we know that. The race is not always easy, but it is our joy and our privilege to participate, to run as servants of the living God. So let us be running, and let us be running hard. Now, in every race, there is a strategy by which the race is to be run. Oftentimes, it's not really that complicated. In a short race, you win by sprinting the fastest. In a middle-distance race, you win with both speed and a little bit of endurance. In a marathon, you win by keeping a steady pace and holding fast to that pace. Well, perhaps you have heard it said, the Christian life is a marathon. And there's truth to that, and we see that as we continue along with our verse for this evening. A believer is to run the faithful life with patient perseverance. Look with me again at our verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How is one to approach living a faith-filled life? Well, like a marathon, with endurance and with perseverance. Ernest Shackleton was, a, was an early 20th century explorer. He led multiple expeditions into the Antarctic. In 1914, he embarked on his most famous exploration. The goal of that journey was to sail to Antarctica, disembark, cross over the entire continent on foot, and sail home from the other side where another ship would be waiting for them. If successful, the crew would be the first ever to walk fully across the Arctic continent, a trans-Antarctic accomplishment. Quite the feat, if, of course, they could, they could succeed. So he and the crew, they boarded their ship, and that was to take them to, the, to Antarctica. They boarded the ship, and the name of that ship 
was the endurance. The endurance. Now, the Endurance was a ship designed for voyaging through ice-infested waters. The ship had never been sailed before, but Shackleton believed that it could do the job because of its Arctic design. However, the Endurance was not able to withstand the pack ice it encountered in the frozen waters. And as a result, after many months of hard toil and perseverance, the ship became stuck. and It was crushed under the pressure of the surrounding ice. Eventually, the Endurance sank and the crew had to venture across the frozen ocean surface to find shelter. The point of the story is this. The Endurance did not live up to its name. Yes, it upheld for many months while it was being crushed by ice. It endured for some time, but in the end, the integrity of the ship could not hold fast. In the Christian life, we are to hold fast. We are to keep moving. It's a long race. It's a lifelong race. It's a race that we can't give up on. When we are saved by the blood of Christ, we are children of God. Once a child, always a child. We are sealed and praise God that we cannot lose our salvation. But since we are sealed in Christ, that means we cannot stop upholding the banner of Christ. No matter what batters us and no matter what tries to grasp for our, grasp for our attention, we need to keep moving. We are to keep our eyes on the race, running quickly, patiently continuing until the race is won. When we are pounded and crushed under the pressures of the world, we need to press on, for the race is not yet over. Endurance is the strategy by which we are to win. But how is one to run with endurance? What steps need to be taken in order to maintain perseverance? in order to keep going when the going gets tough. Well, we endure by shedding anything that might hinder us. Look with me again at our verse. Verse 12.1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. To be light is the key to endurance. You don't see athletes in a race wearing sweats. Why? Because it is a hindrance to their speed. Swimmers either shave or cover up the hair on their head. Why? So that their hair doesn't slow them down. We are to run well. We are to live faithful Christian lives. We need to do some preparation. That preparation is the removal of unneeded and unhelpful impediments. Scripture gives us two types of weights, two types of hindrances that we are to reject if we want to run successfully. And the first is non-sinful obstructions. Non-sinful obstructions. Right, Hebrews 12.1 says, let us also lay aside every weight. Every weight. In the original language, the word for weight is understood as a large mass that interferes. It, it gets in the way. Right? These inner types of hindrances are not necessarily bad things in and of themselves. When they become detrimental is when they, start to, when they start to affect our pace. When they take such a high value in our lives that we start to become weighed down. When we start to dilute the priority of Christ in our lives. These obstructions might be everyday actions or activities to which we don't give much thought. So I'd like us to consider, what are the items in our lives holding us down? What values have become priorities in our lives that hold us back from running the race of faith well? Maybe it's our jobs. We are so consumed with work that the pursuit of Christ 
takes a back seat. Maybe it's our extracurriculars, the things in which we put so much time that we have no energy left to put into our race. Maybe the excess baggage is people, individuals in our lives who are holding us back from keeping our pace, people that pressure us away from the things of God. We're not careful. Other values in our lives can hinder our endurance. So that I would challenge you to consider these obstructions. What takes your time and what takes your energy? And whatever that might be, is it really worth sacrificing the pursuit of godliness over? Let us make sure that the race before us is our first priority. Moving along, the second type of encumbrance that can hold us back from the development of our faith is sinful obstructions. Sinful obstructions. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Sin which clings so closely. Now this is a very vivid image. The picture here is of entanglement and control. Right? Entanglement and control. As we know, sin easily grips us and holds us tight if we are not careful. It so easily entices us and then constricts us to its control. We become addicted. We become blind to our own sin problem when we allow it to take the wheel. I love the way the NAS translates this portion of the verse. Look with me at the NAS. It says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Like a fish that gets caught up in a net, we can easily become distracted and ensnared in the net of sin. We are so easily entranced by sin. Why? Because we are creatures of depravity. It is our natural inclination apart from Christ in our lives. If we are not careful, oh, how easily it enters our lives and stops us in our tracks. When sin grips our lives, there is no possible way to keep running. Why? Because we cannot serve two masters. We are either running in the race of faith, or we are sitting on the sideline entangled in the pleasures of our sin. We need to choose one. So let our choice be the same as Joshua's in Joshua chapter 24, where he says so famously, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And here it is. We all know it well. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let us lay our sin aside. Let us choose a life dedicated to our Lord. And let us continue with endurance the race that is before us. Now we approach the final part of our memorable verse for this evening, the inspiration. At the beginning of our time together this evening, we briefly considered Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith, a record of remarkable saints who bear witness to faith-filled lives. Now, in Hebrews 12:1, the author draws attention to these men and women as inspiration to faithfully run the Christian life. Look with me one last time at our verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. This cloud of witnesses speaks directly to the men and women that are recorded in Hebrews chapter 11, the faithful saints in generation after generation that have endured through obedience. 
They live their lives of faith, understanding God's sovereign hand over life circumstances, over life circumstances, and by hoping in Him for His outworking. They depended on God, and we see how God used them mightily for His will. They ran the race well. They bore witness to how one is to approach a faith-filled life. Because of their examples, we have inspiration and motivation to run as they did in faith. The race can be accomplished. Which leads us to our first point of application. Hebrews chapter 11 mentions a couple of individuals. It mentions Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the people of Israel, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, then David, Samuel, and the prophets. Do we know these men and women? Do we know why they are mentioned in Hebrews 11? Do we know their stories? Why is Moses a hero of the faith? Where do we see acts of faithfulness in the people of Israel as they leave Egypt bound for the promised land? Do we know the stories of Samuel and the prophets and how their lives are examples of dependence on God? How are we to gain motivation from our faithful brothers and sisters if we cannot recall their stories? So application point number one. May Hebrews 11 and 12 pull us back to the scriptures. May we desire to learn from the Bible, to see the examples of faithfulness and then emulate that example in our own lives. And in learning and studying their stories, may we understand the one who is behind all the faithful acts, the one who the stories are really truly about, a faithful God who is the giver of all good things, including our faith and trust in him. May our Lord be exalted as we study his word. My second point of application is this. Do not miss the legacy of faith around you. We all know faithful brothers and sisters in our own lives. Perhaps you are from a family that comes from a long line of faith. That is you, what a blessing that is. Do not miss the opportunity to learn from them, to reflect and give thanks to a God who has been faithful generation after generation. Maybe your family does not have a long line, a long legacy of faith. Maybe you are the only believer in your family. If that is you, praise God for his faithfulness in your life. Praise God for the church we have around us, a body of believers who bear witness to a life of righteous living. May we see the lives of faithful servants in our own lives, and may we draw from their example. May we emulate them, and may we praise God for the faith he has given to them. And our third point of application is this. Strive for faithfulness. Strive to run the race of endurance. Strive to be an example of faith to other believers. Not for our praise, not for our exaltation, but for the Lord's glory. May we seek to live lives that are worthy of inspiration, for others to see God's working in our lives, and for it to be said that we lived by faith. Once again, not for our glory, but so that a legacy of godliness can be passed down from generation to generation to the glory of our Lord. So in conclusion, 
Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We are in a race. The Christian life, it is a race. And that race takes endurance. It is a long race, and it is difficult. It is hard to live day in and day out focused on the pursuit of godliness and righteousness to keep our eyes concentrated on the course in front of us. And the reality is, on our own, this is impossible. It is impossible to endure. It is impossible to completely be faithful. If we were to approach this race on our own, we would end up like Ernest Shackleton's ship, crushed, defeated, and no longer pressing forward. We are so easily distracted, so easily caught up in the pleasantries of this world. We are so easily inclined to stop running and to take a break. We simply cannot endure. But the beauty of our passage for this evening is that it doesn't stop at verse 1. There's a verse 2. Look with me at verse 1 and 2 together, starting with verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And here's verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, Christ is the pioneer and the one who brings our life of faith to completion. He is the ultimate example of faithfulness. He is the only one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He is the only one who depended upon his Father in all things. Yes, the examples of faith in Hebrews 11 are to be an inspiration. Those godly men and women are incredibly notable. But Christ lived the only life of perfect faith. He is the original and only flawless example. So, do you want to run the race well? Do you want to live in a way where you reject sin and the obstructions that get in your way? Do you want to be a faithful servant of God? If so, look to Jesus. Christ is the only one who will carry us through to the end of the race. In Luke twenty-two thirty-one, as Jesus foretells Peter's denial, Christ says this. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Christ is our high priest, and we can have confidence that, as Hebrews 7, 25 says, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Our faith is guaranteed in Christ, and through him and the working of the Holy Spirit in our own lives, we can have confidence that we will be sustained in our race. So, how can we run a faith, how can we run this faith race successfully? By relying on Jesus, by trusting that God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We do not run this race alone. In the races we know today, it is up to the athlete alone to compete, to either win or to lose. But we do not run alone. In the Christian faith, it is God who sustains us and works in us so that we can be faithful servants of his. We are saved only by his work, and we are sustained 
only by his work. God must be our dependence. So, as we close, look to Christ as the image of faithfulness and the one who perfects our faith. May Christ be praised and honored in the race that we run. May we throw off sin, may we throw off other priorities, and may we run faithfully the course that is set before us. Let's close with prayer. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it. We thank you for its direction in our lives. Lord, I pray, as we have all began this race, we know you as our Lord and Savior. I pray that we will run well. pray that you will give us the strength to endure. I thank you for your intercession on our behalf. I thank you for being the one who sustains us. And Lord, when we do fail, when we do get entangled in our sin, I pray that we will quickly reject it. And I pray that we will quickly jump back onto the path and run well, relying on you more and more. We thank you for your word, which shows us all the examples of faithfulness, all, all the great saints who have come before us who testified to the goodness, who bear witness to uh, the faith that, that you have given them. I pray that we seek to emulate that, that we seek to be faithful as they were. But God, we can only do this with you through you. I pray that we will continually, day after day, seek to become closer and closer to you so that we can run the race well and so that we can complete the course, that we can obtain the prize. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, and we, we are dismissed.